and good morning. Welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms we broadcast on. My name is Warren Lanis, and I am your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA, and it's a great joy for me to uh, welcome you to the broadcast at this time. Uh, I want to say hello to our listeners in Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi, Kenya is our pick city of the day. Uh, This week we started something new here at Sunshine USA. We have decided that each and every day we're going to give a special salute to our listeners in different parts of the United States and the world. Bearing in mind this is uh, an international radio broadcast. It's not just a local radio broadcast. And so we're grateful for all the listeners we have, both here in the United States and also in other countries around the world. And another announcement this morning is that this is Pastor Appreciation Month. October is the annual Pastor Appreciation Month. And if you haven't done so already, it might be a good idea today to send a text or write a letter, maybe even call your pastor, and just let him know how much you love and appreciate him and the great work that he's doing for the Lord there at your church. In fact, uh, I texted my pastor, Lenny Miller, uh, this morning uh, prior to doing this broadcast to let my pastor know how much I love and appreciate him and the fact that he faithfully teaches the Word of God. And I tell you folks, uh, if you've ever been a pastor, and especially if you're a pastor now, you're very much aware of the fact this is not an easy job. It's not an easy job being a pastor. Because as a pastor, you're going to get all kinds of complaints and criticism. People are constantly going to be judging you and second-guessing you and everything else. Of course, I tell young ministers today, you know, just be aware this comes with the territory. (laughs) This comes to territory. It shouldn't, but it does. You know, when you're a pastor and you're doing what God tells you to do, you're not always going to be the most popular guy in town. But the important thing to note is that as a pastor, you're doing very important work for God and for the kingdom. And we certainly appreciate all of our pastors listening to this radio broadcast. And uh, I don't consider myself in competition with any ministry or with any church. I, I consider myself a friend of the church. And in fact, I'm a member of the church. I'm a member of San Susie Church here in Greenville, South Carolina. And as I've already indicated, Lenny Miller is uh, the great guy that serves as my pastor. (laughs) And I appreciate him. And I want you to appreciate your pastor as well. And um, so I just thought I'd throw that out there. And um, I'm going to tackle a question or two from our listeners before we get into the message today. Sometimes, you know, after... I get going in the message, uh, my time slips away from me, and uh, I don't have time to do some other things that I wanted to do. So I do want to take a look at a couple of listener questions for today. Here we have a listener who wants to know uh, if it's absolutely necessary for them to be baptized uh, in order to be saved. Um, Now, my answer to that question very simply is... um, Uh, salvation does not save you. 
Salvation has no saving merit whatsoever. I mean, I could be baptized morning, noon, and night, still die and go to hell. Baptism will not save you. Now, I do believe that as Christians, once we are saved, we should have a desire to be baptized because this is what Jesus commanded us to do. And by the way, I I personally teach that the mode of baptism is baptism by immersion. Uh, I think it's very clear to me from the scripture this is what is the proper mode of baptism. And besides, it also provides us with the beautiful illustration of what happens when you get saved. You see, when you're standing in the baptistry before the pastor dunks you in the water, that represents your old sinful life, your life before Christ. And then, as the pastor lowers you into the water, this represents the fact that your old life is being buried in Christ. Your old life is being buried in Christ. And then when you rise up out of the water, you're coming up out of that water a brand new creature in Christ. And so I do believe that baptism is something that we should do if at all possible. Now, I understand there are some people who have handicaps and physical deformities which make it uh, very difficult for them to be baptized, and I I certainly understand that, and I think most of all God understands that. And then, of course, you have the biblical example of the fact that the thief on the cross, what did the Lord tell the thief on the cross that repented? He, He told that thief on the cross This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now that thief on the cross, he didn't have time to join a church. He didn't have time to get uh, baptized. He didn't have time to join a Sunday school class. He didn't have time to read and study the Bible. But yet he's in heaven. And in fact, he's been in heaven now for 2,000 plus years. Amen. And if you go to heaven, he'll still be there when you get there. Amen. (laughs) So he's a living proof of the fact that you don't have to do anything to get saved except believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's John 3.16 right there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All you have to do is believe and you're saved. But once you are saved, you should follow the Lord in baptism. Now, I can tell you in, in my own situation, I got saved the first time in my life when I was seven years old. But now I didn't get baptized uh, for the right reason. I, I was baptized, uh, did I say I was saved at seven? I wasn't saved at seven, I was baptized at seven. Um. And uh, But I got baptized for all the wrong reasons. I got baptized because, you know, they told me I couldn't have the Lord's Supper because I hadn't been baptized. So I said, well, you know, I, I need to get baptized. I mean, that's the way a seven-year-old thinks. Amen. But when I was 14 years old, I got saved for real. And then I had to deal with the question, should I be baptized? I kept telling myself, well, you know, Warren, you were baptized at the age of seven. Now, granted, you weren't 
baptized in the proper order, you know, you should get saved, then baptized, not baptized and then saved. And so at the age of 14, I made the decision to request Christian baptism, and I was baptized again at the age of 14. And I believe that's what the Bible teaches us to do, if at all possible. Now, like I say, if you have the kind of handicaps that make it difficult or maybe even impossible for you to be baptized, you know what, don't worry about it. I think the Lord understands thoroughly. I think the Lord understands absolutely thoroughly. But if we can be baptized, you should be baptized, and I believe the correct mode of baptism is by immersion. Now, I mean, I realize that we have some churches and some denominations which might teach other modes of baptism, such as by sprinkling. And and personally, to be honest with you, I don't take tremendous issue with that. I'm just telling you what I think the Bible clearly teaches. Okay? Okay. In other words, if you baptize by immersion, you're a pastor, you baptize by immersion, I'm not your enemy. I'm not going to take issue with you, you know. Uh, I want to be your friend. Amen. Okay. Well, okay, let's uh, take a look at another question here. We have a listener that wants to know if there is a special kind of diet that they need to be on in order to be saved. Uh, For example, they're saying, uh, uh, if I'm a Christian, am I supposed to be a vegetarian? That's that's a very interesting uh, question there. Uh, I have personally a lot of friends who are vegetarians. Uh, I have a brother, for example, who is, I think, at least partially vegetarian. I say partially vegetarian. He doesn't eat red meat. For example, he doesn't eat steak or hamburgers. But now... uh, He may occasionally eat baked chicken or maybe perhaps fish or something like that, but he doesn't eat red meat, and he's leaning towards going all the way vegetarian. And that's certainly okay. Now, I do think that as a Christian, we have a duty and an obligation to take care of these bodies that the Lord has given us. Now, As for me, I'm not a vegetarian. I like just about any kind of food out there. I don't mind telling you my favorite channel on TV is the Food Network. And man, let me tell you, I get all kinds of great ideas, eating-wise, from the Food Network. (laughs) I do. I really do. But I also know that as a Christian, I have a great need to take care of this body. And I know that I have health issues now that I wouldn't have, had I been more serious earlier in my life about taking care of my body. You see, the Lord's given us this body that we have. The Bible tells us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so naturally, we have a desire, hopefully as Christians, to take care of this body, since after all, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean I can't have hamburger or cheeseburger anymore? No. Does that mean I can't go to the steakhouse anymore? No, absolutely not. But, you know, like I say, we should do whatever we think is best for us in terms of keeping care of our bodies. Uh, 
And if the Lord leads you to be a vegetarian, God bless you. <laughs> that just makes more meat for me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm not dogmatic on this issue. I, I guess that's the thing I'm, I'm trying to uh, say. And by the way, I've, I've had some vegetarian dishes that are absolutely delicious. Uh, so, you know, uh, there you have it. Now, I do uh, put more emphasis now than I used to on eating salads. I especially like a chef salad with chicken and dressing and lots of dressing, in fact. My preferred dressing is ranch dressing. Uh, but I try to eat healthy. I try to make sure there's also some good vegetables in there, like lettuce and tomato. Because I don't know, is tomato fruit or vegetable? I don't know. But I like tomatoes and olives and spinach and stuff like that. One thing about a chef salad, you can put almost anything and everything in it. There's not any one set recipe for a chef salad that I know, and it's all good. Amen. But I, I just take into consideration the larger principle that as a Christian, I have this duty and this responsibility to take care of this old body that the Lord has given me. And then from there, you know, um, I simply want to do the right thing. Uh, now, if the right thing for you is being a vegetarian, that's great. If you're like me and you don't especially feel that you have to be a vegetarian, that's great too. Amen. <laughs> so hopefully uh, that uh, helps you out a little bit. Like I say, if you have any questions that you want to send my way, all you have to do is shoot me an email. My email address is, and I have two email addresses, by the way. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com. And the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And, 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 I have an email, uh, a snail mail address. If you want to contact me that way, my snail mail address is warrenlandis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Now, most of you know that are listening to this program on a regular basis, you know that we're currently in the uh, book of Romans. And I can tell you we're going to be in Romans for a while. <laughs> so I hope you like the book of Romans because, like I said, we're going to be there for a while. And in the last broadcast, we left off with Romans chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, what I want to do first of all this morning is review for you what we have in Romans chapter 1, or should say Romans chapter 2, rather, verses 1 through 12. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, to summarize what we talked about in the last broadcast, the Bible makes it clear that when we judge others, we need to be careful. Because a lot of times, when we judge others, we're actually judging ourselves because we might be guilty of some of the same things that we're criticizing other people for. You know, for example, you might criticize someone or judge someone because they use profanity. 
But wait a minute, what about you? Do you use profanity? Do you ever cuss? So, I don't think as Christians we need to be hypocritical. What about, you know, you see a, a drunk staggering down the road, and he's obviously drunk, he's obviously had too much to drink. What is your response? Do you judge that person? Or do you say, Lord, how can I help this person? How can I reach out to this person and let them know that there's a much better way for them to live? <laughs> you know, now here, here's the thing. The Bible makes it very clear that the way we judge others is the way that God is going to judge us. If you tend to judge others harshly and severely, then guess what? That's how God's going to judge you. But if you judge others compassionately and lovingly, then that's how God's going to be judging you. So the way you want God to treat you is the way that you need to treat others. Now, like I say, if I see a drunk down on the road, maybe staggering, maybe falling down, First of all, I think about the fact that except it be for the grace of God, that could be me and not them. And rather than condemning that person, I want to ask myself, Warren, what can you do to help this person? What can you do to help them? Now, I'll tell you what I would do. If they're staggering down the road and they're constantly falling down, picking themselves up, I think what I would do in a situation like that, I would probably call 911 and get a cop out there to get this guy off the road. Now, I wouldn't do that judgmentally. I would do that in an effort to save that person and, and get that person to safety so they're not going to be killed. You know, they keep walking like that down the road and they're probably going to be hit by a car and killed. You might be saving their life. But you also pray for that person and pray that the Lord will reveal to you how you can reach out to this person and let them know that God loves them and you love them and you want them to know there's a much better way for them to be living. Amen? Amen. Okay, now let's proceed onward. Uh, in verse 12, it says, For as many as, as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Now this lets us know a couple of very important things. First of all, you and I need to make it a point to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Now, I know that in our day, it's very common for Christians to say, well, we're not Jews, we're Gentiles, and so therefore, we're not under the law. But one of the things that Paul does here in the second half 
of the second chapter of Romans, he tries to emphasize that whether you are of the law or not of the law, either way, God is going to judge you. In other words, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, God is going to judge you. Now, as Christians and as Gentiles, the Bible teaches us that God's law is written in our hearts. God's law is written in our hearts. Uh, a lot of times during the day, I will stop and I'll realize I just did something that is not exactly pleasing to God. And if I can, I'll stop what I'm doing right then and there and I'll pray and ask the Lord to forgive me for that, which I just did. Now, I think this is biblical. And even though I'm not under the law per se, being a Gentile and not a Jew, I know that the things that are in the law, that is, those things that are written in the law, are also written in my heart as being the law of God. I mean, look at the Ten Commandments, for example. I know a lot of people say, well, why, why don't we want to look at the Ten Commandments? That's for the Jews. It's not for the Gentiles. Oh, really? It says, thou shalt not kill. Does that mean as a Gentile it's okay for you to go out and kill somebody? Absolutely not. The innocent taking of human life is always a sin. And that applies to the Jew and Gentile alike. The Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not steal. It's wrong for you to steal whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. Either way, it's wrong. You shouldn't do it. Now, I believe that those who have stolen need to acknowledge what they've done, admit what they've done, accept the consequences for what they've done, and to the degree that it's possible, you need to make restitution. It might be that you've stolen so much that it's going to take you a while to pay it all back. Well, so be it, but start. <laughs> pay it all back, even if it's over time. Stealing is just as wrong for you as a New Testament believer as it is for the Jew. The other thing that Paul makes a big deal about in the second half of the second chapter of Acts, or I should say the second chapter of Romans, is the fact that whether you're circumcised, meaning that you're a Jew, or not circumcised, meaning you're a Gentile, the bottom line is the real circumcision that Paul talked about was a matter of the heart. For example, he says in chapter 2, verse 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not of the latter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. You know, he says in verse 28, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. Now, obviously the Jews were taught 
that as Jews they needed to be circumcised. Now, I think it's probably pretty clear that Paul was circumcised because he was a Jew. Now you had Timothy, which Paul referred to as his son in the faith, not a biological son, but a spiritual son. He told Timothy that he should go out and be circumcised. But now Timothy was also in a very interesting situation. His mother and his grandmother were Jews. They were God-fearing Jews. But his father was a Greek, meaning that his father was a Gentile. Probably an unbeliever. And as such, Timothy probably should be circumcised. But either way, we have to recognize that as Christians, we need to act like the people that we are. For the Jews, the circumcision was simply an outward indication that they belonged to God. But as a Christian, we know that we belong to God because we know that the Lord lives in our heart. The Lord lives in our heart. He takes up residence in our heart. Amen. And as a result of that, we should live accordingly. Uh, I was listening to a preacher preach the other day, and he gave the indication that it wasn't really important what you did or how you behaved yourself as long as you were a Christian. In other words, he took the position that if you were a Christian and you knew that you knew Jesus Christ as your Savior, it didn't matter anymore how you lived. And I felt like writing that preacher and say, oh, yes, it does. It does matter how you live. I mean, first of all, why would a person be saved and not want to be as much like Jesus as they could possibly be? You see, as a Christian, and in my case, as a Gentile Christian, I have a desire to be as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. I don't want to do right in order to be saved. I want to do right because I am a believer, because I do know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Now, does that mean I'm perfect? Absolutely not. And those of you that know me personally, you have probably known me long enough and, and well enough to know I'm not perfect. You've seen times in my life where I didn't always do what I should have done. Or I did what I shouldn't have done. But I do know that as a Christian, I have this desire to be all that I can be in the Lord. I want to be just as much like Jesus as I can possibly be. Now, the other thing that we learn as we learn in verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11, for there is no respect to persons with God. In other words, I think it's fair to say that God, certainly in our day, he loves Jew and Gentile alike. 
God is just as eager to see the Gentile get saved as he is the Jew. And by the way, Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way. By believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, for example, in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That applies whether you're Jew or Gentile. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, you know, I think we also need to get across the idea that as Christians, rather than judging each other, we should minister to each other. And we should be willing to help each other. When I see a professing Christian do something they ought not be doing, rather than judging that person, you know what I need to be doing? I need to be praying for that person. And I need to be asking the Lord to help me find a way to let that person know there's a much better way for them to live. Amen. There's a much better way for them to live. And I thank God for that. I thank God for Christian friends that if I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing, then you know what? I thank God that they love me and the Lord enough to tell me, why, well, you know, there's something better you could be doing here. That's the kind of friends you should be asking God for and thanking God for. But you know what our reaction tends to be, don't you? You know, somebody points something out to us and we say, why are you judging me? Why are you being critical of me? Well, that person's not really being critical at all. They may just be trying to help you. They may be trying to help you grow in the Lord. Now, by the way, this is why church attendance is so important. This is why church attendance is so important. Because I'm surrounding myself with people who get to know me and they love me and they care for me. And they look out for me and I look out for them. I have fellowship with them. I enjoy that fellowship. And by the way, that's something you can't get on a TV screen. That's something you can't get on a computer screen. Now, I thank God for the fact that churches nowadays are live streaming their services and they're putting their services on the Internet. Man, I think that's a wonderful thing. But don't you dare think for one minute that's a substitute for being in church in person if you can You know, one of the sad things about the pandemic is that during the pandemic, a lot of people quit going to church. In some cases, they quit going to church because the local government forbid them to go to church. And in other cases, they were so afraid of getting COVID that they stayed away from the church. But now I think it's certainly safe to say that it's safe to come back to church. And if you're able to come back to church, I think you should come back to church. Because you're going to find that you need the church and the church needs you. Amen? Let me say that again. You need the church and the church needs you.
Um, and then I want us to look at verse 17, chapter 2, verse 17. Behold, thou art a Jew and resist the law, or rest us in the law, rather, and make us thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, and a light to them which are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and the truth in the law. Therefore, thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that at Horace idols, do you commit sacrilege? So you see, Paul is telling us here about the importance of being the real deal. Make sure when you point something out to somebody else that you're not guilty of that thing yourself. Or you might share with them out of your own story. You might say, you know, I have done what you've done. I've been down the road you're traveling right now, and let me tell you, it's not a good road to be on. I can tell you that there is a much better road for you to be on. And let me tell you about that better road. Now, all the while, what you're making it a point to do is to preach the truth in love. In fact, I, I remember one time I was preaching at this church, and the pastor had put a plaque on the back of the pulpit and not everybody in the church knew about this plaque. Now, if you sung in the choir, you knew about it. If you ever sat on the platform, you knew about it. But most people seated, seated out in the congregation, they didn't know about it. But it was a plaque that simply said, preach the truth in love. You know, I have to tell you that sometimes as a preacher of the gospel, as a minister of the gospel, I have to teach things and preach things that I wish I didn't have to say. But I say it in genuine love. And I say it for your betterment. Amen. And that's the way it should be. Like I say, it's not always easy. There are some topics as a preacher I wish I never had to preach on. For example, I don't especially enjoy preaching about hell. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I don't enjoy preaching about hell. But I do preach about hell from time to time because it's all part of the whole counsel of God. And I know that as a preacher, God has called on me to preach the whole counsel of God. But do I like doing that? No, absolutely not. But I love lost people enough to where I don't want them to spend eternity in this terrible, awful place that the Bible calls hell. And so I know that from time to time I have to preach about that. When it comes to issues of morality, these are issues I wish I didn't have to teach and preach about, but 
I know that because God has called on me to preach the whole counsel of God, I know that sometimes, hey, I have to do that. But whatever I say, it's not said with a judgmental heart. It's said in a manner to preach the truth in love. Not to condemn you, but to simply be a light to you and show you that there's a better way for you to be living. There's a better way for you to be living. Now when we get to 1 Corinthians, for example, Paul talks about a man in the congregation there at the church of Corinth. He said there's a man living in immorality in your congregation. In fact, what he's doing is so bad, even the unsaved heathen people of the world are talking about how bad this thing is. But yet, he said, uh, you need, for the time being, to put this person out. But you don't do it judgmentally, you don't do it hatefully, you don't do it punitively, but you do it with a view towards restoration. Because later on, when Paul writes Second Corinthians, he says, yes, you did the right thing putting this person out, but now you need to bring this person back in. If they have repented, if they have seen the error of their ways. And you see, that should always be the principle behind church discipline. Churches that have a church discipline program, you need to realize this is not to be a program done judgmentally or punitively, but the whole idea is restoration. The idea of helping this person to see the error of their ways and come back to the ways of the Lord. Amen. That's why when we read about the story of the prodigal son, we read about the father that was so happy to welcome that son back. Yes, that son had been a sinner. Yes, that son did some very foolish, stupid things while he was living in the world. But the good thing is the son came back and the father received him. And I can tell you right now, if you're listening to this broadcast, I don't care how far down the wrong road you've gone. God still loves you. He still cares about you. And he still has a plan for your life. If you'll just come back to him and put your faith and trust in him. Amen. Well, in the next broadcast, we will begin with Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. Romans chapter 3 and verse 1. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you. By the way, pray for this program every day. We're hoping in the next year to expand this ministry and take this ministry where it's never been before. But to do some of the things that I feel like the Lord wants me to do, we have to have more financial support. And uh, I hope that you'll pray about whether or not the Lord would have you to make a contribution to this ministry. And uh, that's between you and God. I don't keep a record of it. To me, I mean, I, I don't care whether you give or not. 
But I'm just simply saying whether if you do give, that it, it's good to give some money to this ministry if you can, because, you know, some of the things that I feel like the Lord wants us to do, it costs money. For example, it now costs $39 a month more to do this ministry than it used to, but I'm still at it. I would keep doing it. And I believe whatever the cost is, God will give me the people that he needs to help this ministry continue doing what it's doing. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye. God bless you. And guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.